welcome to the last episode of Additive Insight for 2020 and our 50th episode. Um, brought to you by the TCT editorial content team, Additive Insight is your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT head of content, and I'm joined by senior content producer, Sam Davis. Hey, Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. Are you feeling ready for the Christmas break? I I definitely am, yeah. Um, December being a quiet month is just not a real thing I've discovered and I yeah I can't wait to kind of sign off for a, a week and a half and not do anything just remain horizontal um <laughs> watch Netflix eat loads of rubbish food and yeah enjoy myself how about you yeah I'm feeling pretty much the same I mean so Sam and I had to laugh last week because as we were talking about the typical wind down end of the year usually welcome a quiet period in December after the kind of stress that is formed next month, not just form <laughs> next week. Um, and then it's almost like the industry heard us and then in came in some big industry announcements, which we'll talk more about later. But yeah, definitely getting ready to to wind down now. But before we do, we figured um, it's the end of the year. We want to take a look back at some of the biggest stories from 2020. Um, Sam has already compiled a month-by-month rundown of the most significant launches, applications and interviews you can read now at tstmagazine.com. So today we're just going to chat about the year as a whole, um, just some of our kind of minimal trips that we've taken this year, Um, some um, key interviews and some key launches as well. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial-grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod. Um, so let's talk at the start of the year then, which started as it always does with some trips overseas. Um, some visits to um, to Gothenburg and Hamburg, actually starting in Tokyo at TCT Japan back in January. But um, Sam, your last trip, uh, before the world changed and uh, was a visit to G Additives Arkham EBM Centre of Excellence. Yeah, so they had um they invited us over maybe, I don't know, two or three weeks before um certainly in the UK we started locking down. Um and I remember I remember kind of being naive about the whole thing then and they were I think they'd put on a smaller event than they'd initially planned because of concerns around COVID and I remember thinking mm. that was a bit dramatic and it obviously wasn't uh, <laughs> but um yeah so they had this new 15,000 square foot facility um which um with some good foresight was kind of you know equipped with loads of collaborative workspaces and hot desk um a hot desk setup so they're probably doing quite well with with covid and that kind of thing um lean manufacturing principles throughout as well um and they were they were preparing to ramp up production of their um, some of their EBM platforms, um, and they were they took us around the facility. They gave us presentations. We sat down and spoke to to some of the leading personnel there. Um, but undoubtedly, the star of the show was um, was a titanium 
aluminide uh, turbine blade, um, of which there are around 250 on the GE9X engine, which is um, going to be used on Boeing 77X aircraft. Um, mm-hmm. And they were they presented these blades to us. They were swinging them around to show us how light it was. They were saying um, it can't be produced any other way um, with... So they use EBM um, on the they use the Spectra H platform and the in that in that platform the temperature of the build chamber can reach up to twelve hundred degrees C, um, which melts the material, um, and then means that there are kind of smaller thermal gradients generated and 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 thus there is less uh, residual stress and less risk of the part cracking um, and the the weight reduction was was around 30% and um, they they contribute to a 10% increase in fuel efficiency compared with the G90 engine that came before it um, and, and 10 of them are produced at a time um, I think on, on the Spectra H um, in a build that takes around 100 hours uh, and at the start of the year so we were there at end of Feb and um, maybe four weeks earlier a month earlier um, uh, at the start of the year, Boeing successfully flew two G9X engines on the on the 77X aircraft during a, a kind of testing process, and then by October, the engine had had received FAA certification. Um, and we were told at the beginning of this year that in in 2021 that Boeing expects to deliver um about 340 of these aircraft, which would be an impressive number of, of flight critical parts being produced with. With EBM tech, and we were talking about, you know, how if if that number of, of aircraft increases that Boeing has to produce, then obviously GE and their and their partners who who produce these turbine blades uh, have to have to kind of match that, and and it kind of it kind of you know was a nice a nice fit with them with them ramping up. Um, it sounds like all being well, they'll have a have a f- busy few years a- ahead of them, and you know another three D printed part on a on an aircraft Mm -hmm. yeah those are some really interesting examples there and from an industry as well that has been heavily impacted by the challenges of covid things like travel restrictions and and various lockdowns but we have continued to see some great examples of the technology being applied to the aerospace sector Um, not long after that bae systems set itself a target uh, to 3d to 3D print 30% of its Tempest uh, fighter jet. Um, it's already been used in 3D printing um, for the, its Typhoon aircraft, um, I think about 1% of this aircraft, but amid the kind of challenges um, in the aerospace sector as a result of COVID-19, uh, the company is now hoping uh, to cut the time and cost of its production uh, by up to half by using 3D printing. So that's just an example there of how uh, the challenges have actually really given 3D printing an opportunity to show all of its benefits. Um, and aerospace was actually the theme of the last event that I went to um, before various restrictions happened. So I went along to the uh, Red Cabin, Aircraft Cabin Additive Manufacturing Conference, oh, which is so difficult to say. Um, and just there, there were various vendors from aerospace and also additive manufacturing coming together to talk about uh, the various opportunities and challenges for additive manufacturing within the industry. Um, I think the more uh, kind of impressive slash ambitious um, goals kind of came from Etihad Aviation Group's plans to 3D print up to 60% of its next generation aircraft cabin. And 
it's not just one of those where they were talking about these really future facing um, applications and components. I mean, some of them were, but a lot of them really truly made sense for the kind of things that they were talking about. Um, and we saw various examples and um, throughout the, the few days um, from companies like Lufthansa, they're using 3D printing for um, very specific components. So when components have uh, failed or maybe they've been damaged due to um, wear by, uh, by customers, things like that. And they've been using 3D printed to redesign certain parts um, one of them was something like um, it was a jack for your headphones in the seat pocket. So apparently, usually when people are plugging in the wrong thing, it can result in this um, kind of molten headphones effect that happens and really just ruins the socket. So they've developed these 3D printed alternatives for things like that. Um, and then also um, various other components like um, an air grill, which was damaged in its 747 cockpit ventilation duct. They've now certified a part that's apparently more durable um, and has various other benefits in terms of lead time and reduced manufacturing costs and maintenance as well so um so many examples there and these examples have really just um continued to um to come about another company Seto, which is um, an airbus company um produced this uh cup holder which was inspired by um a wingtip design which funnily enough has also um recently been um is, is a part which has recently been um, certified now uh for production on its a320 ceo aircraft so this is a, a metal 3d printed um wingtip fence component um, this cup holder design was actually partially inspired by this design which has been in the works for about a year or so now but um it it just shows how um, this industry, while it was heavily disrupted, there are lots and lots of um, things still happening and there's lots of um, innovation still taking place there. Um, but of course, shortly after um, these trips, our travel plans were very much halted. Um, COVID-19 um, really hit in places like Europe um, and the US following um, Asia. And um, we were all sent to work from home. Industries were paused. And there was this kind of brief moment, Sam, where we really thought we might have to get super creative now about our news gathering mm -hmm. efforts. Um, but additive manufacturing instead had a, had a real surge in interest as um, both users of 3D printing and vendors stepped in to help manufacture critical components, things like PPE when we have these real shortages of stock, um, and also using the technology to help plug gaps where um, traditional supply chains um, in places like China, for example, had, had really just been, um, been disrupted. So Sam, I mean, I don't want to talk about this too much because I know that we've talked about it at length throughout just about every story we've written this year and also on several podcast episodes but um just give me kind of like um, your brief of some of the kind of things that that most were most noteworthy around that time well i think i think it, it kind of started with though the the face shield um and and just kind of printing the the kind of the the plastic part that, that holds the visor in place and then um that seemed to be the primary application it was easy to do it was um you know design files were being shared all over the place and um and they were you know a, an essential um piece of equipment um, mm -hmm. through those months and then we had we had the odd story about you know ventilator components and certain valves um and then it really it really started to become um you know sla and dlp companies like mm -hmm. you know carbon origin those guys really hitting some huge volumes with the um nasopharyngeal swabs um mm -hmm. and and it was just um i know i think you know to begin with we were maybe a bit skeptical about whether 3d printing did have its kind of role in in this um battle but it it kind of you know it, it, it demonstrated that it really did and i think we we've maybe touched on this before but 
what what I took from from the the whole the whole thing of three D printing being back in the kind of you know mainstream media spotlight it was it wasn't because of what people said it could do but what it was actually doing and and what, mm-hmm. you know, and what it was doing was in fact a lot of what people said it could in the past and now it was it was proven that and um, I would imagine um, you know as as I think many other people have said during this year that the the, the technology and maybe the industry as well kind of proved itself in in what were difficult circumstances and uh, maybe many business leaders and executives at these manufacturing companies um, are perhaps seeing 3d printing in a different light um, maybe you know maybe it is now something that they they believe that they can integrate into their company and you know hopefully that turns into a significant increase in in adoption and application you know away from from these kind of applications that we were seeing earlier this year into you know other industries Mm -hmm. yeah you're so right and I know we were a bit skeptical at the start I think it was when we um, not just the face shields but when we started to see these various ventilator projects and consortiums coming together that were all kind of rushing to to answer the same problem and mm-hmm. um you know maybe we weren't really thinking about how that um, relates to normal supply chains or the kind of um restrictions that are in place and things you certifications need to pass to get these kinds of um parts and pieces of equipment um pushed through into a, a medical setting but you're right it really has proven lots of the benefits that additive promises like bringing things closer to the point of demand and been able to develop new products quickly and manufacture them quickly and I, I do think particularly with the things like the, the nasal swabs it has shown its ability to to mass manufacture when the application really calls for it you know it's not going to be perfect for everything but for something like this which is a very specific component which you can really pack into one of those even a small build space really it really showed just the the possibilities and what can happen there and there are of course other examples as well of how 3D printing just really, um, people just got a new understanding for it. Things like um, working from home scenarios, which we were all um, forced into, people then had to think about, okay, I'm I'm a product designer, I'm an engineer, how do I then bring those capabilities home with me? And we did see a bit of an increase in these professional systems being taken home by people who were maybe used to you know, using uh, industrial manufacturing systems um, at their office or in, in the workplace and now they're able to take these home and, and figure out, okay, I can do this and this, and maybe I could use it for this in future, or, you know, okay, actually that sounds like something we might be able to bring into production for this part or the next part rather than COVID-related equipment. So mm. um, it will be interesting to see now how that does um how that does translate going into the next year and the years ahead, because especially even on this podcast, most CEOs and founders that we've spoken to, they're all they're all very positive mm. about the fact that um this has been you know you don't you don't want to say it because you don't want to put a positive spin on it on a terrible year but um it has kind of helped give additive a bit of a platform again almost like this second hype wave really but a hype wave that was actually really valuable mm-hmm. um for people to just um see the technology and and see all of its benefits and as you said Sam hopefully we will start to see that translate to uh, to some more applications going forward now that people have got to grips with how do they design and how do they use these these kinds of technologies mm, well a point that's um and I'll, I'll be quick on this so <laughs> other things but a point that's made in some of the end of year content we've got planned um over the next couple of weeks at the end of December is that um in in using their own 3d printing technology and having will have learned a lot more about their technology than 
typically they normally would maybe mm-hmm. only a few of their you know biggest customers their super users if you like would because of the volumes that they might work with and and so that might mean that they've got a better idea of you know their their print capacity or they'll have a clearer idea of you know who they should be working with now to to fill in the gaps of of what they offer and and you know and and many of them will have made new contacts um i've heard multiple companies say to me that they weren't even looking at the medical sector before 2020 as a as a key market for them and perhaps now that has changed um and you know they've they're working with new new companies and and they've they've you know they've maybe been inspired to look at 3d printing for certain applications so yeah i think there's there's a lot of almost new promise about about what this year will have will have you know done for for additive manufacturing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think it was um stephanie um brickveed um part as speaking as part of a makeup up panel session earlier this year and just talking about that very topic of um you know getting more people to understand additive and and how that can be be used um, in years to come and she was kind of skeptical thinking that it won't necessarily stick um this kind of real push to use additive but we will see a continuous growth rate because companies really now they they're having to kind of just um, fight for their existence and really just push to do anything innovative to to really um, you know bring themselves to the front and make sure they're they're ahead of the game and so hopefully by using additive now that you know they will see this as a way to really open up those new uh, business cases and, and and use it as a as as a tool for other things going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we have throughout this year, despite not being able to to travel anywhere, um, we have actually managed to to speak to people, uh, speak to a lot of great industry um, leaders. Um, and so we've not been able to see technology firsthand, but that doesn't mean that we've been short on those kinds of great interviews. Um, so Sam, I just kind of want to run through a, a few that we've um, that we've done this year because um, me and you were looking over at some of the stories that we've done over the past year, and considering we did think we might have mm-hmm. to get a bit creative with it, and um, people have been really willing to chat this year about the, the various um, innovations and things like that. Mm. <laughs> um, I started the year um, talking to um, Gabe Bentz, who is the CEO of 3D Printing Factory Slant3D. Um, it's basically a 3D printer factory all set up to be um, automated uh, with a range of kind of um, s- smaller-ish sort of like FDM machines. Um, and so he was talking to me at the start of the year about how the company was making preparations to build the world's biggest 3D printer farm uh, with around 800 automated 3D printers. Um, and I just think uh, this was an interesting story because uh, it came at a really good time because within a month of that conversation, um, the company was already using this um, beta version of the farm to produce thousands and thousands of face shields, as you just mentioned. Um, and it's really continued to grow then um, in terms of getting on more customers, which are now looking at how additive can be used to to fulfill certain part requirements and do that without needing a mold. Um, And now it's continuing to build and they hope to soon have it enabling production of hundreds um, of thousands of 3D printed parts every month to really meet this kind of break-even point with injection molding of about 100,000 parts. So um, I don't know whether that has been halted at all by the things this year, but it certainly looks like it has continued to to grow. I think the last update we we had on that was around um, August now and they seem to have a lot of um, industrial customers now using the uh, using the facility to to kind of print more I'll say normal parts rather than COVID related equipment um, and throughout this year as well um, on this very podcast I've been pretty fortunate to speak to a number of additive leaders um, 
like EOS CEO Marie Langer, um, who spoke to us back in February about um, making 3D printing into this mainstream sustainable manufacturing process and also to chat about her first mom's as CEO after taking over the company uh, from her father. Um, and then more recently, I spoke to Max Lebowski, who's the founder and CEO of Farm Labs, just about the company's growth. Um, they also launched a new dental machine this year. So we chatted about that um, and also got an update on that Fuse One system as well, which is um, something that um, they launched a couple of years back now. And we've kind of been waiting to see more, more developments on where this technology is up to. It's their first um, SLS system designed to be a desktop system. Um, and Max told us that it's taken them um, a lot longer than they thought it would have um, or that they expected um, to really kind of get this machine to a position where they're ready to launch it. But he did say they are very close to that point now and have definitely made a lot of progress um, since it was first put out there. But um, I really enjoyed this interview because it's a company that, has got a really nice growth story from being this kind of Kickstarter success to, um, you know, one of these um, few 3D printing unicorns in the industry now, billion dollar companies. Um, and it was very active in the fight in COVID-19, which kind of sparked our conversation. Um, but it was just great to talk about how far the company has come and really remain true to itself as this kind of provider of professional systems, even though it really came of age during this phase of of consumer hype and just just seeing where, where it's up to now and um, Sam do you want to tell us about some of your interview highlights from this year yeah well one the first one is I'm cheating a bit because it was done <laughs> it was the interview was done last year when we could meet in person at form next and and then again published it maybe maybe a good time by the time I'd, I'd got around to sitting down with it and it was an interview with um link 3d ceo Shane Fox um mm-hmm. and it was set up as one of these, you know, a straightforward, let's talk about your latest product launch kind of interviews. And, and he ended up being much more candid and, and than, than he needed to be. And it was, a, it was a really honest assessment of where he thinks the industry is. Um, Link3D is a, is a company doing um, stuff that is, is maybe considered kind of, you know, the, the boring Monday, not the flashy stuff, but is is really important for for manufacturing technology to be deployed and integrated it's you know mes and data analytics Mm -hmm. remote monitoring and quality management and and all of that kind of thing and and his point in that interview broadly was that 3d printing companies need to be open to, to capture the majority of the companies it would like to adopt its technology the hardware needs machine connectivity software tools need to kind of encourage collaboration across the workflow from design to post-processing and and generally 3d printing companies need to spend more time on factory floors in normal times at least (coughs) excuse me than than they have been doing to really kind of appreciate all that needs to be done to to kind of get their technology on a factory floor um serving a, a purpose for the for the end user um and one of the main thrusts of his argument was that companies need to work together to ensure that their technologies can be integrated into supply chains seamlessly. And mm-hmm. that's probably more important now than it, than it was when we spoke last year. Um, and then another, another of my favorite interviews was, was um, something that I, you know, many probably didn't expect. And it was um, just before the founder and former CEO of Stratasys retired um, in the autumn this year and um, I really appreciated Scott Crump taking the time out um, so much time in fact I think it was 
It's one of the ones that he's <laughs> ever done. But to talk just a little bit about his career before he retired in the autumn, I, I think to cover everything, we, we would have been on that call all day. But you managed to touch on some of the key points of his career, the, the kind of development and progression of FDM and, and the growth of Stratasys over the years. Um, he was really good on the on the early days through the 1990s as uh, Stratasys was trying to establish itself on the market procure investment um it eventually went public in, in the mid 1990s um but but not before it it nearly had to just close its doors um because it was it was struggling to to get that investment to to push on um he was really enlightening as well on the the hyper 3d printing which he thinks on on balance was, was probably good for the industry um and and obviously the the makerbot acquisition that happened on the back of that, which mm-hmm. he kind of explained as um they were doing twenty years on everything that he had set out to do, which was to make a tool that that cost less than twelve thousand dollars and would help manufacturers move through product development quicker. Um, for all their efforts up until that point, Stratasys had never managed to do that, and although I think it raised eyebrows, maybe when it happened because they were buying a company that was using the technology Kremp invented. He kind of, um, he, he backed that um, move and, and he, he stands by it today. Um, there was, there's also stuff in there about conversations with customers early on um, and then working with the likes of General Motors and more recent times and, and some of the big aerospace players. And, and at the end, he gave some advice for fellow innovators and, and, you know, business leaders within the industry. Um, and yeah, if, if you've not already, I'd encourage you to, to read that interview because there's loads of loads of interesting details and anecdotes in there um, from a guy who's who's helped build the industry to what it is today. Um, and, you know, his company's remained one of the, the leading companies. His technology is the most used technology out there. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoyed speaking to, to Scott about all of that and more. Yeah, it, it is a really great interview. And as Sam said, defo go check that out on tstmagazine.com. And it kind of um, segues in quite nicely to the, to the next bit we wanted to, to cover on this episode, which is just some of the industry developments that have happened over the last year. Um, and one of them um, references back to the thing I said at the start of the episode, which was that thought it was going to be a nice quiet December. But then Stratasys swooped in with this huge deal with Origin, Sam do you want to talk a little bit about this? Because I know you chatted to the guys straight away about this story as it happened. Yeah, so as it has done, you know, many times before, Stratasys decided that in this case, the best way to kind of expand its portfolio and, and bring in um, kind of DLP technology was was via an acquisition merging with Origin and a deal that um, will reach up to $100 million with some performance um based um installments in there um and just a couple of years after origin came out of stealth um the the two companies that actually partnered earlier this year during the pandemic to distribute and um, market some of the the covid testing swabs that origin were manufacturing and over the course of the year origin was eventually persuaded um into the acquisition that it had originally turned down but i think from origin's perspective it sees the the global network and the the reseller program that stratasys has built up over the years as a, as a great way of actually getting its origin one platform out into the world and you know across the world and as i mentioned stratasys for them it, it fills a gap 
in their portfolio. We were told that 10 minutes after the announcement was made last week, um, as we were recording last week, probably two weeks ago by this goes out, um, Stratasys had, had already had a large automotive customer asking about Origins Technology. Um, the companies also see dental, medical and aerospace as key markets too. And um, I think crucially for Origin, it was it was also said that their business model, which includes a subscription offering and their open strategy, um, they partner with the likes of BASF, Henkel, DSM for their materials. That's going to remain the same. And actually it, it might, they were saying, even influence Stratasys in, in the evolution of its own approach um, as it as it maybe looks at adopting what it described as a more ecosystem type mentality. So I think it really is, um, by the sounds of it at this stage, uh, an acquisition at work for both. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see some good things coming from, from both brands moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it certainly seems to to make a lot of sense. And I understand from, from Origin's perspective, you know, Stratus is a kind of the perfect, I guess, launch pad really to really take their technology and to the next step because they're just this huge leader in polymer technology. And I actually spoke to um, Andy Langfeld, who is the president of EMEA for Stratasys um, just last week or two weeks ago as well, as Sam said by the time this podcast goes out. Um, and he was saying that, you know, this decision was really all about ensuring the additive. So ensuring that Stratasys is this um, leader mm. in polymer additive manufacturing and technology. So to be able to offer this kind of fully comprehensive um, portfolio of different um, polymer technologies um, to really meet all those different applications within the industry. And um, while it's quite interesting because Stratasys, of course, um, last year um, revealed more plans about the metal technology, which we're still yet to to hear more about, um, it certainly makes sense that they kind of want to bolster this backbone of theirs um, as a leader in polymer technology. Mm. Um, and some other um, key developments as well. Um, Sam, I'm going to ask you about this one too. Um, this is uh, the uh, the merger between um, DSM and Covestro, a huge uh, materials and partnership there, which uh, I know you've recently spoken to to both those guys. Do you want to just give us kind of the the round on what happened there? Yeah. So uh, just briefly on this, I think I think it was a move that surprised a lot of people, um, especially as I think just weeks or maybe a couple of months prior DSM had had taken over Clarion's 3D printing business only to then um announce that it was it was being you know it's same kind of you know the portfolio that its 3D printing business sits in was being bought out by Covestro um but I think it it speaks to a market that is going through um some consolidation and, and will continue to um as we move through the next few years and um this deal is still yet to be completed. Um, I think, I think that'll happen maybe um, in the first few months of twenty twenty one. But um, again, it's a it's about complementary offerings as as well as a a focus on the the circular economy as Cavestro was highlighting at the the recent Four Next Connect event. And um, hopefully, we'll we'll be able to hear more from both of those guys next year once the takeover is actually complete. I know both sides don't want to say too much and until it's over the line um but yeah a really a really interesting development on on the material side of the industry there mm-hmm. um, another company that's had um a lot of different news stories come out this year including a leadership change and various application stories is 3d systems um i spoke to the 
new CEO, um, Jeff Graves, um, a couple of months back now, um, who talked to us just about this new application, application focused strategy, which 3D Systems is going ahead with. Um, and also this idea that they're now eliminating any distractions just to focus on kind of, um, as you put it, they're kind of the, the main legs of the stool in 3D printing, which are um, hardware, your software materials as well. Um, so yeah, so I, I talked to Jeff just about the the company's um, focus, and you may have noticed like over the last year, 3D Systems hasn't really they've not really continued to to launch product after product after product as maybe they have done in the past in terms of launching new versions of machines or maybe um, new materials here and there. Um, instead, they've really focused more heavily on things like um, applications and, and customer stories, which is what they're going to do um, going forward. Um, and I think a very recent news story kind of um, it, it kind of bolsters this idea that they are eliminating all distractions just to focus on these key segments of the business. So um, 3D Systems recently agreed to sell um, its Simitron, a CAD CAM business for $65 million. They've sold this to um, an investment firm. Um, yeah, This really kind of made sense. And I think that um, this idea that they are um, eliminating distractions. So um, things like where they focused on stuff like um, subtractive parts of the business. And I guess that's been through partnerships with companies like GF Machining, things like that. And um, they're going to kind of like divest in that kind of stuff now and really just focus on the things that, that are really important. The things that, that um, Jeff kind of thinks that um, that the industry is is really, really good at. Um, and then another company, Sam, just to kind of finish off talking about the, the launches um, would be a very, very recent story now, Desktop Metal going public. Do you just want to give us the brief summary of what happened there? Yeah, so that was um, that was announced in August and then um, and then a, a couple of weeks ago it was it was listed on the, the New York Stock Exchange after agreeing to a reverse merger with uh, Trine Acquisition Corp. Um, and, and this is a move that Desktop Metal says is to accelerate its growth trajectory and, and accelerate the development of its portfolio, which I think um this year we we've we've seen a bit of already with um they've they've launched new software products, um a, a kind of um a build processor and materialize for its production system, a, a live center platform as well for its binder jet technology. Um there's new materials being being released, including a copper material um earlier in December as well. And then and then last week it launched the the P1 system to its um, production system line um, and, and the production system itself will now be called P50 and, and that's going to be shipped in the back half of next year. And the P1 is a smaller system. It's kind of a um, a, a system that you, you kind of get started with. You, you maybe um, develop an application or develop a material before you then scale up on the, on the P50 platform built from much of the same architecture will obviously different build volumes and that kind of thing um so so that was that was launched earlier this month um and yeah it, it all, all kind of points to now obviously getting the production system out there properly um shipping that which that's that's set for the, the back end of next year i think and and it it would all point towards a busy year next year with um you know with a, a bit more uh momentum for them and maybe a bit more investment as well so um yeah, interesting things going on at uh, desktop metal. Mm -hmm. 
So just to talk about some launches now from this year, because despite there not being any trade shows or places where we can actually go out and visit these uh, new systems, there have actually been some um, significant launches that have happened over the past year. Um, and one of the major trends was in multi-laser machines, which is something we covered quite heavily in our form next episode of the podcast and also in various interviews on the website too. But just to kind of recap, um, we saw several multi-laser systems launch, um, including one from Velo 3D, which I think was an eight laser system sam yeah that's right and then um, additive industries came in with a 10 laser system and slm solutions with a 12 laser system so the whole idea behind these machines is that they are really enhancing productivity um, they have bigger build volumes so allowing you to pack either larger parts or much more parts into into one build volume um, and we're already starting to see some application examples coming from these technologies. So um, just as we're recording this podcast today, um, SLM um, have announced that they have been producing um, some parts for um, a Porsche um, on its new NXG 12600 system, which I keep calling the NX, NXG 12600. And I'm really hoping that's supposed to be um, how you say it. I think it is. <laughs> They've been printing some parts for uh, the eDrive housing um, on on that system there. So yeah, um, some really interesting applications already coming out. And uh, we published a few in the most recent issue of TCT as well. There's some um, kind of aerospace applications too, some very, very large um, industrial parts. Um, also, Stratasys uh, released the J55 system. A lot of Stratasys news on this podcast. I think I've only just realized. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the J55 was launched back in April as this kind of office friendly full color multi-material printer kind of a more accessible alternative to its polyjet technology um falling just below the hundred thousand dollar um pricing point um so it promises realistic pantone validated colors textures uh, transparency um, and the idea is to deliver these um super realistic models that match the shape form material and finish of final products um, and that comes in at around the th- a third of the cost of its normal enterprise class project system so um you know a, a great little machine there and when it launched we already heard of a few beta customers that have been using the system things like small medium design firms and since then we've seen several um customer stories coming out um i think one of the most recent ones was a, a pharma technology company uh, site medical which has adopted the technology to to prototype some of its parts and it's just um, an interesting one to point out because if you look at those um stats from context which were published earlier this year and um, which were about the different um just the sales of, of each different um, section of, of 3D printing hardware. And the design category was actually one of the ones that had sort of suffered the most, really, um, because it falls under this kind of $100,000 threshold. I think it's between twenty dollars and $100,000. Um, and, yeah, so th- this was kind of an industry that, a part of the industry that had sort of dipped, but Stratasys seemed to have kind of gone the opposite way and, and really done quite well with, with this system. So, and hopefully we'll um, we'll see a bit more good news from that going into next year as well. Um, but as I said, without trade shows this year, understandably, it wasn't a huge year for major machine launches, if you don't count the recent stuff of Um, But we did see plenty of launches and announcements in other areas, things like post-processing with um, Soyucon's new system, which is their first post-processing system aimed specifically at polymer parts. And there's also the HP and Rosler announcements, Sam. Yeah, so that that came um, about twelve months on from them announcing their partnership at the 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 Form Next in twenty nineteen, um, and this is the Jet Fusion fifty two hundred automatic unpacking station, um, 
which is a shortened version of a very long name. Um, <laughs> that was revealed um, just last month, and it, it was uh, promising productivity increases and higher powder reclaim rate compared to kind of manual unpacking operations. And it's, um, you know, really along this kind of trend of automating post-processing, um, you know, the, the, the fact that you have to do so much work Post-build has, has been an, an irritation for a long time with, with manufacturers um, and we're really starting to see automated solutions come to market now. The way the way this one works is that once the print job is called, the lifting device will transfer the cooling unit to the automatic unpacking station where the parts are unpacked and then an air suction system transfers the leftover powder into an external tank and then when that tank is full, it can then be loaded back into the HP build unit. Um, so it, it sounds like a, a quicker way of, of, of going through those processes and, a, and maybe a more kind of uh, sustainable way as well of, of reusing um, the powder that might otherwise be, be discarded. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, making the process more sustainable, um, another significant launch which happened um, just a few weeks back now was uh, Materialize announcing the launch of its BlueSynth technology. It is a new kind of combination between uh, material and also SLS 3D printing, which makes it possible to 3D print with up to 100% uh, reused powders. So uh, the problem for a long time with with um, additive manufacturing with SLS has been this kind of so-called orange peel effect, which is a service problem which happens um, in laser synthetic parts, which are produced using only used. So whereas uh, manufacturers will obviously be keen to try and uh, reuse as much powder as possible because um, an awful lot of powder is lost in these kind of print jobs, um, it does unfortunately cause this effect. But Materialize have come up with this solution, uh, which is supposed to combat that um, by using kind of a, a mixture of um, controlling the lasers um, and also um, this new material concept um, to allow you to, to use almost all of that material. So it's been a really important development because it's something that... Um, manufacturers have been wanting to to tackle and um, for a while now and sustainability is just such an important topic in the industry we've covered it so so much this year we've had an entire feature on it in the magazine and speaking about how various companies are aiming to address sustainability challenges by recycling their powders or developing um, various solutions like 6k's um, solution for example which allows you to um, repurpose scrap metal things like that and um, so this is just a really interesting development for the for the additive side because it's a very common belief that um, that additive manufacturing is um, more sustainable because of the way you're producing parts by just using the material you need to use. You're not machining from a block and, you know, wasting all the material that comes out of that. And apparently in a recent survey uh, presented by Materialized to manufacturers in China, um, 85% of those asked said that they actually believed uh, this to be the case. So they believed that additive manufacturing was just more sustainable. Um, but in fact, recent studies have shown that for large series of, of products, it's not actually the most sustainable way of making things. Now that is large series of identical products. So whereas um, additive manufacturing may not, um, may not kind of, quantify as the most sustainable way of making these kinds of parts it of course does have other benefits in the sense that you don't have to make identical identical products you can make you know um mass customized products and things like that so it does still have um its benefits for for that kind of for that kind of stuff but uh, we spoke to to materialize um this month just to find out a little bit more about this and Jürgen Lordis who is the VP and general manager of materialize and manufacturing 
did say that um you know this development is really great but um we do need to give additive manufacturing um, some we need to cut it some slack basically it's still a very uh, young technology compared to other established manufacturing processes which have been around for years and years um it's been used in a production context now for barely two decades so you know moving forward we just need to kind of keep asking what can we do to make additive manufacturing more sustainable and i think that there are plenty of companies in the industry now which are really um, aiming to address that. And I'm, I'm sure this is something that's going to carry on being um, a, a feature within additive conversations over the next year. Which brings us now to our very last point, which is talking about uh, next year. So, Sam, you have just um, you're just completing now an article which is pointing to some of the um, some of the machine launches we can expect to see over the next year. Do you want to just give us? Uh, kind of a snapshot of, of what that is going to be yeah so this has just been um, as we've kind of gone through this year noticing that a lot of companies have been saying in their press releases that such and such technology will be launched or shipped or whatever in 2021 and so um, in the last few weeks we've been speaking to the likes of GE additive uh, desktop metal Wayland Additive, um, Hyperganic, the software company, um, and, a, and a few others about either, you know what they're bringing to market or what you know what in the in the case of desktop metal what you know once it ships the the, the production system will will kind of address in in whichever industries and um, we we're going to touch on a few of the other developments as well um, some of the ones we've touched on in this very podcast um, DSM and Covestro and Stratasys and Origin, those takeovers are obviously set to be completed next year too. Um, and yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna put, throw that together because it 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 looks on the on the face of it so far that um, twenty twenty one and in particular for Metal Binder Jet and it's it's going to be a, a pretty big year. Um, so so this will kind of preview those announcements with with um, just a couple of quotes from each of the companies um, and a bit more information about um about either when um we can expect the launch to happen or, or what what capabilities their their product is offering and, and what market to address them and, and things like that so that'll be out um probably not too far not too long after this um this podcast goes out so mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that yeah you mentioned the things like um the trend for metal binder jet technology which is something i'm sure we're going to see more of next year as you mentioned with uh, machines that are going to be available um on the market and there, there are a number of other trends which we've spotted kind of creeping into this year which i think are really just going to be accelerated next year and one of those just based on various observations and conversations that i've had with people is definitely around software so while we've seen um, software collaborations between hardware and software companies, um, it's also important to, to note just how this kind of trend to working from home and, you know, remote working and maybe people not having machines at their desks and, you know, maybe having to think about other ways of, of manufacturing things, that software is just going to become all the more relevant uh, next year because people are going to have to think about um, about how they kind of manage those workflows and how they manage those distributed supply chains. Um, it was in a conversation with um, Dr. Lee Baff at Leo Lane um, just a few weeks ago now. He was talking about how their technology um, is just really kind of um, 
it's really been brought, brought to the forefront now that people need to ask about how they better use software to help manage their workflows, manage distribution manufacturing, and also protect their, their parts as well. So, um, and I think working from home and this idea of, you know, people not all been in, in one place is really just going to um, kind of, um, I guess, exacerbate the, the need for that. So I think that's pretty much it, Sam. We have done pretty well to cover an entire year in an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and probably less than that, to be fair. So uh, <laughs> yeah, good going. I think um, it's been it's been quite an as as we were saying at the top of the of the conversation how we thought we'd have to get creative and, and maybe think of new ways to to you know write about and cover the industry. There's been um, initially we had all of the pandemic applications and then without even without the trade shows it kind of got back to normal there were machine launches there were there were takeovers there have been you know kind of the usual announcements would expect and um and it looks like it'll it'll continue through next year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely so I guess all that's left to say is um, thank you everyone for listening and thank you for um, being with us um, to our 50th episode if you've been listening from the very very start um, we wish you all a very happy festive period and a much more hopeful 2021 uh, we'll see you then, bye and now a word from our sponsor Ultimaker Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod.